There's the popular meme in the United States that the Central Intelligence Agency uh, specifically dealt drugs in in America in order to destabilize local forces, uh, you know, local gangs and local cultures and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, and then basically, you know, that, that, that's like one of the conspiracy theories that we have in our country. Um, it's exposed by a guy named Gary Webb, whose research is very shoddy. I, I, I love when conspiracy theorists talk about intelligence. And obviously, I, you know, I'm biased having worked more than three decades. I used to laugh at people that said that. So when I worked in Statos Intelligence, you guys are monitoring all Canadian, you know, communications and said, you know what, you're absolutely right. And I monitored your conversation for 50 minutes one day. You were so f boring that we took you off the list in a heartbeat. <laughs> my my question, because my background is I did four years as Marine Corps, uh, Marine Corps POG personnel and grunt. I deployed to Iraq in 0708. And then I did four years in local law enforcement. That's my background. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So what, you know, just from a psychological perspective, one of the things that I kind of noticed is that it was a little difficult to uh, one parse out psychologically like the profession from my daily life, and then you in particular, if you were if you were chasing or investigating or looking at people who were either Canadian citizens who went abroad and then were trying to come home, or you were looking at domestic threats that were trying to uh, you know do dirty work over here, um, you know, has that affected your mentality, like the way that you perceive the world and the way that you interact with it? Ooh, start with the tough questions, eh? Yeah. Um, I would say no. I, I was always able to make sort of a dis <laughs> distinction between my uh, my my family life and my professional life. Um, I mean, I take this stuff seriously. There's a reason why I've written six books. There's a reason why I'm on your podcast. There's a reason why I'm on Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn and I, and I do. I've done thousands of interviews with American and Canadian and European media over the years. Mm -hmm. I do that because I'm passionate about this stuff. Um, I really want to understand better who these assholes are and what they're trying to do. Um, I, I get really frustrated when people um, describe themselves as experts. I don't use the term for myself because the term is, is, is now meaningless in 2021. You know, it's, it's interesting, Connor. You know, ever since the so-called war on terrorism, which was one of the stupidest terms ever invented, by the way, after 9-11, we had this explosion, no pun intended, of terrorism experts. Uh, I've heard someone call it the, you know, the counterterrorism industry. And everyone in this, and his dog, you know, runs their flag up the flagpole and says, I'm the guy to talk to about, you know, X, Y, or Z kind of thing. I would like to just give my short, my little corner of the world, someone who worked on investigations, hundreds of investigations over 15 years. Um, I've read voraciously about this. I follow stuff in the news. I still read two, three hours a day of news around the world, see what's happening. To give a perspective of somebody that worked at the coalface. Um, and and that's, that's what I think my strength is. Do I have any answers? No. Do I have solutions? No, but I just want, I want to see guys like you and me that actually were practitioners at one point weigh in on, on a very, very serious topic because the conversation is being hijacked in many ways by people who may have good intentions or not, but are, are completely barking up the wrong tree. And I, one example, I just put out a, a quick hits podcast like an hour ago about the change in language, about how we deal with terrorism. There's now a movement. I'm not sure if it's in your country. It's in my country. It's in the United Kingdom. We got to use, stop using the term Islamist terrorism because we're offending people. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that's what it is. That's the term we've been using for 20 years now. It's an, actually an academically accepted term. And, oh, we got to change it to, you know, religiously motivated terrorism. I said, when's the last time a Baptist blew shit up? Um, I'm guessing well, not listen, recently. Your 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 uh, political perspective is very inconvenient, but that that's actually <laughs> what that's kind of actually I kind of wanted to poke at that a little bit. Um, sure. So because so I, I I actually differentiate these terms. Uh, I try to be as well read as I can. I fail. I try to be as you know nuanced as I can. I fail. But the uh, the thing that I kind of differentiated because I've been studying and actually really frustrated with this topic for a really long time. Uh, mm -hmm. Because kind of, kind of, I've heard you mention before um, on some of your Destiny uh, conversations or debates. It's like, yeah, like we have other terrorist organizations, but if you look at it from a global perspective, it seems like jihadist terrorism is far and away the most like active on a global scale. Mm -hmm. right. um, and then people, th this is like a really frustrating thing for me um, because nine eleven was twenty years ago. That means it's no longer a threat, right? Like, exactly. Like, oh, I, I want to, I want to take this paintbrush and j jam it through my eyeball. <laughs> Uh, but the don't do that. It, it, it hurt real bad. <laughs> don't let the jihadists win. Um, but what I 
but what I do is I, I try to d differentiate these concepts because obviously, like, um, one, it's offensive to people and therefore people get more offended by being offended than they do actually talking about the subject. Um, and then two, I think that there can be like some kind of practical utility to dividing these things. So the, the terms that I've kind of divided up is, um, and I actually would like to hear your interplay between these three things. Sure. So there's, uh, you know, Muslim, there's a person who practices the faith of Islam, the, the nominal person, you know, what they have their sympathies, but 1.3 billion people, the vast majority are decent people like you and me, but moving into Islamist, uh, where Islamist is basically, uh, trying to, uh, attempt to blend, uh, you know, state and religion. Yeah. And that's the yep. end goal. The, the end right. goal is to create an Islamist theocracy. Um, but yep. there are non-terrorist organizations, for instance, like Absolutely um, the Muslim Brotherhood or Hizbut. Exactly. Where, uh, where their ties can be nefarious, yeah. but the goal can be non-terrorism related. Yeah. And then finally, jihadist, which, yeah. um, you know, basically I use that as like an isolating term to say, like, not only is this person an Islamist, not only is this person a Muslim, they specifically want to use violence in order yeah. to achieve goals. Um, so, so how do you view the interplay between those three terms? Well, I've just met you and already I like you a lot because I have the exact same view of the world. Um, you, you've divided it really, really well. And it, it's kind of like concentric circles, right? So the, the, the largest circle would be the world's Muslims. Like I said, about one, there's over a billion Muslims around the world and all kinds of variations on the faith. You've got Sunnis and Shias, you've got moderates, you've got hardlines, you've got you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, the vast majority of people like you and me just want to, you know, earn a, a few dollars a day, feed your family, put a roof over your head and, and, and enjoy life. Then you said, as you said, there are, are parties that think that, well, my religion and, and my version of it is the only real one. And wouldn't it be great if we were governed by these principles? So in other words, they want to use faith to establish some kind of a political system. That's the sort of your inner concentric circle. And then your smaller circle, which isn't really a lot of people around the world, are the ones that say, yeah, not only am I a Muslim. Uh, and not only am I an Islamist, but um, the rest of you guys are, are wrong, Incl including, by the way, they, they think most Muslims are on the wrong side of the historical ledger, which is why the, why most victims of Muslim terrorist attack, Islamist terrorists are actually other Muslims. OK, you can do the math and figure it out. And they're the ones that say, no, um, you're not listening to me. And I'm going the only way I can get you to listen to me is start blowing shit up. Or start, you know, like what the Taliban did when they... So the Taliban are definitely Muslims. They're definitely Islamists. But they're also extremists. I mean, they're very fundamentalist. You know, girls can't go to school. Men have to wear beers, blah, 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 blah. But they're also a terrorist group. At least they're a terrorist group in my country, maybe not in your country. So the way you framed it, I think, is really accurate. And this is why it bugs me when people say, well, you know, Islamist terrorism is, is a racist term. No, it's, it's accurate. And I keep saying... Why is no one saying that white nationalism is a racist term or white supremacism is? not I mean, have you heard that movement come about in your country entirely lately? Listen, because, no, you, <laughs> because that would involve some level of like intellectual consistency and we're not capable of doing that anymore. So like, you know, ouch, that, yeah, ouch. <laughs> that's where that listen, you got to You got to take your hits and throw them out as you can. But, um, I, I do want to I do want to ask this because um, th this is my understanding. But I, I would be curious, especially from like an intel background, if you would feel like I understood the organization properly. Sure. Um, so the, the Taliban in particular, um, you know, like, like the way that I view their association with Al Qaeda is that they, they covered for Al Qaeda yeah. and they were fellow travelers, but mm -hmm. Al Qaeda had global geopolitical goals. They wanted to yes. instigate, you know, conflict with Western developed yeah. worlds, particularly the United States, um, in order to suck them into a battle, drain them of blood and resources and hope that the empire yep. collapse. Um, whereas the Taliban, um, as far as I understand, they more had like regional goals where they yeah. wanted to be like a hegemon within, uh, you know, Afghanistan and use the Pakistani ISI as backup in order to take over their sphere of influence. So for me, the, the reason why terrorism in particular is a is a rough term for, for me when it comes to Taliban in particular is because I feel like by by blending these terms, it, it doesn't. They might have conducted suicide. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you they've conducted suicide bombings yeah. against American forces and against yeah. uh, Afghan National Army and Afghan National Police. But Not mentioning Canadian forces, NATO that were there in the early days, right? Yeah, yeah. but do their, um, do their aspirations end at the Afghan border or do they have international aspirations? I think they do. But see, that's not the relevant point, right? You could argue that the ETA in, in northern Spain, the, the Basque terrorists, mm -hmm. their aspirations ended were Basque territory. They may have gone down to Madrid once in a while or Barcelona. Yeah, they had bases in France, but they never attacked France. They attacked Spanish police and Spanish army. So they were contained within Spain, but they're still a terrorist group. Right. So that it's the Taliban tactics. 
And, and you know, so in my country, the, the way that we view terrorism in the criminal code, it says very clearly um, an act of terrorist activity is, 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 an, is an act of, of serious violence, and it's defined in you know, legal terms, that's carried out for political, religious, or ideological reasons. That's it. So if you look at what the Taliban did to their own people, were they acts of violence? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, they were killing people on a regular basis. And was it for a political or religious ideology? Uh, yeah. Ergo, they, they were a terrorist group. But you're absolutely right. The, the Taliban had no desire to take over the world. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they're not even not interested even, even in, their, in their sort of like nearest neighbors. You know, they got maybe, you know, look at Uzbekistan, Tajikistan kind of thing, which, by the way, are scared shitless right now what's happening in Afghanistan because they see their own groups like IMU in, in, in Uzbekistan might, you know, say, hey, look what the Taliban just did. We can do that in Uzbekistan as well. And this is why they're closing the borders and, all, and doing counterterrorism exercises and stuff like that. But no, you're absolutely right. The Taliban were not in, in any way had this master plan to take over the world in the same way that Al-Qaeda had its tentacles, not just in Afghanistan, but through Asia. We had Al-Qaeda-inspired people here in Canada. We've had them in the States as well, attacks in Europe, various, you know, AQAP in Yemen, AQIM in, in the Maghreb, AQI in Yemen. And this one went on and on and on and on. So... I don't think it's 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 necessarily the aspirations that would define or not the Taliban as a terrorist organization. It's more that did they carry out serious act of violence for religious reasons? And the answer is yes. Yeah. So that, that kind of brings me to another point that I think is interesting. So I, I think I'm going to have to reconsider the way I'm classifying terrorism in my own Woo-hoo! mind. But Victory. the <laughs> but the, uh, the the issue that I have is that like uh, th- th- this is a Pandora's box that I hate opening, no. but it was opened by another person. And uh, I can't get it out of my head. So I, I kind of want to ask you about it. Um, mm-hmm. The moral difference between state violence and <laughs> terroristic violence uh, to me um, seems pretty obvious, which, it, which is basically yeah. like state violence can be against civilians. State violence can be against uh, other nationalistic targets or whatever. But there's oftentimes like rules of engagement or yeah. there, there, there's other there, there's like a stated purpose. There's there's all sorts of things that we dress up our violence in in order to legitimize it, check it, try to keep it, in, you know, try to keep it within a certain spectrum. Um, and for me, there is a, a moral uh, a moral delineation between that versus specifically and intentionally targeting innocent people just to slaughter them to make a political mm-hmm. statement. There's a massive moral difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what gets brought up in these things, unfortunately by leftists, is um, the power differentiate or the power differentiation between a nation state and a, a, a non-state actor. Um, yeah. They're using these tactics not as a, uh, maybe, maybe they are using it just as like a convenience, but they're also using it out of necessity because otherwise they can't stand on a toe-to-toe basis with a national a national actor. So, um, what do you kind of say about like one, mm. the spectrum of violent violence, the mm. difference in morality, the way nation states conduct themselves versus terrorist organizations, and then finally, it's like what um, what's the moral difference between let's say like a suicide bombing that kills thirty people and a drone strike that kills the intended target, but then also kills like another 20 people. Do, do you have that moral difference calculated out in your head? Oh, oh yeah, this is real easy stuff. <laughs> I, I, I knew this stuff like when I was in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem we're faced with, of course, is that it all depends on your perspective, right? So we, we, you and I can sit up here, we can agree, nod heads, have a beer, shake hands, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the guy on the other end of the world saying, well, fuck you, uh, you don't see my perspective on things. And yeah, okay, you say your drone strikes were targeting a terrorist and maybe you took him out, but, you know, it wasn't quite accurate and it took out a whole family of people as well. Mm -hmm. How is that morally, you know, how is that not morally reprehensible? I I don't tend to get involved in moral arguments for a couple of reasons. I'm not a philosopher uh, and I do think the morality, you know, I think there are some universal principles that as humans we should abide by. But agreement on on the details of what that that is. I mean, you know, look at drone strikes. It's a great example. I think it's it's a wonderful tool to use. You don't put your own people at risk. Uh, you can you know, monitor people, and we we know that the surveillance can go on for twenty four hours, days and days and weeks at a time to isolate the the bad guys and you know just drop a bomb on their car, like what happened with Awlaki back in twenty eleven in Yemen. The problem is is that you got to be perfect, uh, and it's not a perfect tool. I mean, in the last week alone. I've been reading in the press at least six accounts of, of drone slash airstrikes that went awry in Nigeria, uh, in Syria, in Iraq, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of the state versus non-state, again, I mean, I agree with you, but someone would say, well, didn't um, wasn't Islamic State a state? They, they created a state. They created a caliphate. 
Uh, the uh, the Taliban have just declared the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. They are a state now. They're seeking IMF funds. I mean, they're functioning as a state, and yet they're also a terrorist group. To me, I, I, you, there's something you you raise. I think is really really important, and that is that the, the main difference. If you want to talk about morality here, the main difference is that terrorist groups deliberately, without a second thought, have no compunction at killing innocent people. They, that's their target. When you when you put a an IED uh, in a garbage can in a market, you're not aiming at U.S. soldiers, Canadian soldiers, Iraqi police. You're aiming at people in the market. When you you know when you're a suicide bomber and, and a suicide bomber knows where he's going or she's going because there are females as well. You can see who you're going to be killing, and you know you're not waiting to see a guy in uniform. You're just going to pull the, pull the pin or whatever or you know the, the ripcord when you get in with fifty people, and you can see around you. That they're all I mean, look. Look at the Bataclan trials going right now in France, and you know, 130 people dead back in 2015. I was actually in Paris on the day of the attacks. Thank God I got out of the country before they actually happened. But that was deliberate. They were targeting civilians in a bar, in a market, in a, in a Stade de France where the you know football games are being played. They weren't interested in, in targeting, being careful not to kill civilians. That was the whole point, because they're trying to scare the shit out of the French people to you know cave into their demands, whatever the hell their demands were. So I, I think has at the end of the ever, day... Has that ever worked, by the way? Or ha have Western forces ever just get, like... Because for me, it's like, they do a terrorist attack, they get our attention, then we kick the fuck out of them for, like, a decade. You know, like, that, Lebanon, that seems to be... Le Le Lebanon 83, Marine barracks bombing, Reagan administration decided to withdraw American forces from Lebanon. But that was on their soil, though, or their hype, you know, yeah. if, if you were to collectivize it. Whereas, you know, like, a, an yeah. attack on the homeland, you're like, fuck you, we'll go well, to the ends of the earth in order, or the ends well, of the earth in order to kill you, basically. Well, exactly, 9-11, Right, like yeah. you know, you don't mess with me, kind of thing. But you see what we've got. Um, I, I think it does make a difference. And and you know, there's a you know, there's you guys just got out of, we we left Afghanistan in 2014. You just left a couple of weeks ago. France is wondering what the hell they're doing in the Sahel in Northern Africa. Like, why are we still here? Um, you know, the problem is, and I think the Taliban said it really well. You, you know, you have the watches, we have the time. We're not going anywhere. You're eventually going to get tired of being here. Yeah, and, no matter what you're doing. Yeah, and that's my so the reason why I opened up that like moral can of worms or whatever is not so much for my benefit. I just thought it was interesting because like I was raised in a very like clear uh moral standard, which was cops can enact violence in order to effect a arrest because they're yeah. state authorities vested by the court. Yeah. Uh, and they have rules. Yeah, yeah. The the military couldn't enact violence because they're acting on behalf of the state. Um and you know, they're limited in when they do so, when it has to be voted on in a democratic republic. That yeah. that's from where their moral authority comes from. And then the, uh, you know, when it comes to non-state actors, terrorist organizations, all that kind of stuff, it, it's not just that they're committing acts of violence. It's the fact that they're renegade. They're acting without sanction, without authority, yeah. without democracy. And then, like you said, the targets are specifically civilian, um, which opens up, you know, obviously moral can of worms, killing innocents in order to achieve po political goals. Um, I think it's actually like an MLK quote where he says, like, uh, you you can't corrupt your means in order to gain good ends because your ends will be corrupted by your means, which oftentimes I think about in context of the war on terror, um, you know, like are our, our, our ends also corrupted by our means? And do we even have an end, uh, yeah. basically? Great and question, then, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and that's um, so so that those are all interesting questions. One of the things that I wanted to ask, though, is that like. So to me, it seems like right now we're playing jihadist whack-a-mole. That's what we do. We are. Like, like, we are. like an organization springs up, they kill a few people, it gains media attention. You know, we go after them, we kill them, new organization pops up, and we're just we're just repeating this cycle over and over again. Titans rise and fall. You know, Al-Qaeda isn't what it once was. ISIS isn't what it once was. Um, but they still have players, different parts of the world, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I'm asking this is like, do you see any kind of like long-term solutions besides like what we're already doing and by that i mean like diplomacy soft power development mm -hmm. internet like uh cultural cross communication like all these things so we can try to understand each other so hopefully we can stop killing the shit out of each other because when i talk to uh muslims uh not not islamists and not jihadists they're often saying that a lot of these things are couched in islamist language and jihadist language uh but a decent chunk of it is geopolitical and oh for sure yeah so. yeah it, it, there is there is but again back to my earlier point you can't mm -hmm. deny that there is a fundamental layer of islam here that yeah they're they're using it abusing it misusing it whatever you want to say but they mm -hmm. sure shit aren't quoting the you know the torah and they're not quoting the old testament 
and they're not whatever the hell the Buddhists read. I don't. I'm not Buddhist. I don't know. But I mean, they are quoting uh, surahs of the Quran, and they are quoting hadith of the Prophet Muhammad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Boy, what is the solution? I mean, if, if I tell you this, are you going to pay me like a bazillion dollars? I, and by the way, yeah, U.S. dollars. I got it in my checking account than... already. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Is it, and make sure it's U.S. dollars, not Canadian dollars, because it's like twenty percent more. Um, I, the problem is we have been playing whack-a-mole. You're absolutely right. And, and here's where I'm going to I'm going to probably piss some people off about your listeners. Not only was the, was the term war on terrorism dumb, because it, it modeled the war on poverty, the war on drugs. I mean, I remember the war on teenage pregnancy when I was in high school, like <laughs> a zillion years ago. Right? How how those ones working out? Not too well. Not only was that the wrong term, but we, we kind of saw the military as the primary tool in the toolbox. And don't get me wrong, there is a role for the military to do counterterrorism, especially in terms of training um, third world forces that don't have the capability that we have and the techniques. I think it's a great idea. The problem is, and here's why bias is going to show through a gazillion percent. I'm a former um, security intelligence analyst. I think that the, the pointy end of the stick is still law enforcement and security intelligence. They're the ones that identify the bad actors. They investigate them. They follow them. Uh, in the case of like the FBI or the RCMP here in Canada, you know, they arrest them, they lay charges, they go to court, they go to jail, blah, 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 blah. That That's that sort of, that's when you're preventing things from happening. You know, preventing shit from blowing up tomorrow morning. Well before that, you got a whole bunch of actors, civil society, there's a whole, you've probably heard of CVE, Countering Violent Extremism, it's kind of the acronym of the decade. You know, can we do things before these people embrace these ideas, before they join terrorist groups, before they strap on bombs kind of thing? And it's all well and good. I, I don't think these are necessarily bad people. The problem is we have no idea what works. We have no idea which, which buttons to push. And there's no predictive ability to any of this. So, you know, you can develop a program and Connor goes through it and Phil goes through it. Connor comes out as a really nice guy and never does anything. But, uh, you know, Phil all of a sudden leaves on the last day of class and then blows himself up at, at the front door kind of thing. So there's so much we don't know about why people decide to make these choices. I mean, my very first book was was called The Threat from Within, looking at Islamic terrorism in Canada, and it was signs that someone's adopting. I didn't I didn't ask the question why. I just said if they start, you know, drinking this Kool-Aid, this is what they're gonna do. This is what they're gonna say, this is what they're gonna look like. So you're right in that there's a whole bunch of actors that have to get involved in this. And yes, intercultural diplomacy and, you know, aid for the third world. But, you know, terrorism is not about poverty. If it were, then why the hell are most of the terrorists actually doing really, really well? You look at all the leaders. These aren't guys living on a dollar fifty a day, right? These are guys that you know, Bin Laden was the son of a gazillionaire in, in Saudi Arabia. We have these simplistic answers to the why question. Mm -hmm. And if you get the answers wrong, then the solution's not there at all. Bottom line is, is that terrorism has been around for a very, very long time. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, Cain was probably the first terrorist who killed his brother Abel because he wanted to please God. Serious violence for religious reasons. Sounds like an act of terrorism to me. Um, it's never going to go away. And it, right now we're in a particular phase. The Islamist phase has been around for the, since 1979 or actually a little bit before that. Is it good, getting any better? Not really. And, and the worst thing is the bad news. I, I'm full of bad news tonight. The bad news is that with the Taliban having retaken Afghanistan, every jihadi and his dog, sorry, that's an insult because they don't like dogs, every jihadi and his cat is saying, holy shit, the Taliban just defeated the, the greatest army in the history of the planet. And the only thing they're taking inspiration from that, they sure as shit are, all well, online and in, and in their groups. So, so yeah, and, and that's, it's interesting because like they, um, sorry, I have to mess with my sound a little bit. People are telling me I'm a little quiet. But the um, basically what I, I would say, though, is like, have the Taliban learned their lesson from getting the shit kicked out of them for 20 or 30 years? Like, have they have they realized that, like, hey, you know, attacking the United States or having people who live in our backyard who attack the United States is really bad for our political power and for our health? Um, or are they going to go right back to it? And they're going to say like, well, fuck it. We, we outweighed them 20 years. We'll let terrorists come and train here. And then they can go take, you know, piss off the United States. And if they invade again, then we'll do the same thing again. Like, like what's the, uh, you know, I, I, hard to ask that question, but yeah. Um, I mean, I, 
not not being not being a mind reader. I I, I hear a lot about Taliban 2.0. <laughs> yeah, whatever. There's the same. There's the same bunch of yahoos we dealt with back in the early 1990s when they took over Afghanistan after the Soviet withdrawal in the late 80s. Whether or not they're going to allow Al Qaeda and the IMU and the TTP and all these other terrorist groups from setting up overt camps in Afghanistan to train and plan acts of terrorism outside Afghanistan is a really good question. If they're not complete morons, they won't. But they're going to continue on with their anti-Diluvian, prehistoric version of Islam that's going to you know, impose uh, all kinds of draconian measures on women and all kinds of other people in Afghanistan. So I guess it remains to be seen if, in fact, they're that stupid to allow a group to get to the point where they carry out a major attack, probably maybe not on the scale of 9-11, but major enough to say, okay, that's it, guys, we're going back in. But then we're back to the whack-a-mole, right? I mean, we, we, we've seen this movie before. This is like, you know, uh, the invasion of Afghanistan, you know, part seven. I mean, but do know, we do we care is is kind of my question. Like, like, so, for instance, like the when we're talking about uh, this scenario where like women are losing rights, LGBTQ folk are losing their rights, they're imposing an Islamist theocracy. They, there's all sorts of things that like even our allies do. So, for instance, like, you know, Saudi Arabia or yeah. enemies, Iran, um, do do similar things and we don't lose any sleep over it because we have like geopolitical goals. So the the question for me is like. Um, while I while I think these are perfectly good moral indictments to have against the the Taliban, the question is: Is that enough to warrant like Western soft uh, soft power intervention or hard power intervention? And then also, what's kind of like the limits of empire? Like I know mm. that um, the United the United States, like you know, we like to think that we can fight wars everywhere all the time. But the truth is that we've been going up against non state actors with AKs and improvised explosives yeah. for the past two decades, whereas we haven't yeah. gone up against a conventional force, and hopefully we never will. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like you know, what the one, what the fuck are we doing? Um, yeah. And then two, what is the law enforcement? The, the the reason why I appreciate you saying law enforcement, but I feel like we need to clarify, is because I know that law enforcement it doesn't mean like oh we're gonna send uh you know a bobby with like a hat and a and a and a stick to to yeah. go do it. What's gonna happen is you know counterterrorism teams that are specially yeah. trained in order to do it, who are capable of employing the entirety of the use of force up to and including deadly force. They're going to try to intercede on these people, but at the same time, like maybe take some of them into custody in order to do intel. They probably have better human rights than if it was the military taking them into custody. And yeah. if they get into a shootout, then they get into a shootout. But but that's that's kind of my question is, what does that look like on the international stage when the people yeah. that we're going up against are cross-border? They're in Yemen. Mm -hmm. They're in Syria. Mm -hmm. they're, in, they're in Afghanistan. They're in Pakistan. All that kind of stuff. It, do we violate the sovereignty of other nations by sending in like a new kind of SWAT team that's able to mm. serve raids internationally? I mean, that sounds awesome, but I just don't know what it looks like. Another easy question to answer. Why do you, you give me all the softballs tonight? Thanks very much. <laughs> um, well, it, it, goes, it goes back to our morality question, right? Mm. I mean, should we care about Afghan girls in school? We should, but as you point out, I mean, pick a country, any country. And, you know, from our perspective as Western nations, Canada, United States, Western Europe, we see things through a certain lens. We've got certain standards. We're all we're all Western liberal secular democracies, which have freedom of speech, freedom of thought, you know, more or less equality, blah, 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 although it's not perfect. And, you know, if we start saying, well, every country has to follow our model, which is by far the best model because we're because it's because it's ours, then where do you start? Where do you stop? Do you go into North Korea? Do you go into half the countries in Africa? You mentioned Saudi Arabia, great ally of the Americans since the Second World War, since since Roosevelt sat down with the king on a freaking boat in a lake somewhere. Um, Saudi society is anything but equal. Are they really an ally? Yeah, I you know I've got my doubts about that. So I, I I think the moral question is an interesting one, but it's not it's not something you're going to resolve by going in and changing it or cajoling people or dropping bombs or sending in special forces. The only reason why you would want to, you know, exercise extraterritorial uh, incursions is if you have solid information and or intelligence that Connor in, 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 in bumfuck Pakistan is, is going to, you know, launch an attack or he's going to supply someone or he's going to give somebody the training to get on a plane, get off in Detroit or get off in New York or Atlanta or whatever and carry out a suicide attack against a football stadium. If, if the intelligence is, 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 is certain, and you're, you've got a lot of confidence in it. You do have that right, I believe, under international law to take action to prevent that from happening. So that's why the Abbottabad raid in 2011 was perfect. You send the special forces in, you put a bullet in Bin Laden's head, and you get the hell out of Dodge. 
you don't stick around. No must, no fuss, right? Um, yeah, the, that's that, that's the thing. Uh, that's the I think the perfect way of doing it. The problem is you send boots on the ground is they're there for twenty years and you start pissing off the locals. And back home they're saying, why are we even doing this anymore? Yeah. So the well, and because there hasn't been uh, a domestic terror attack, they assume that everything is hunky dory. So yeah. the the human intelligence aspect of it is interesting to me uh, because basically I, I don't know if it's just a bunch of like CIA wonks or whatever who are, are just complaining about how important they are and how nobody listens to them. Um, but basically what the what the consensus was, at least before 9-11, was that we gutted our human intelligence system, that we basically we, we didn't have any eyes. We didn't have any friends. We didn't have anything like that. We just said we're going to withdraw from the world stage and we're going to use signals intelligence in order to intercept communiques. And that's all we're going to rely on. And then now th this is kind of my my concern and my fear is that when you look at like, let's say, Iraqi Kurdistan, where mm -hmm. we could have helped out, but we didn't. Um, you look at like Yazidi Christians, we could have helped them, but we didn't. Uh, we look at, um, you know, we, we look at Afghanistan where we did help them, but ultimately it was all for naught. And then we're just like, all right, well, you know, we tried. Fuck y'all. Like, yeah. so so who's who's going to be? our friend at this point and then is it good for your health to be a friend of america you know like, mm -hmm. like it, it seems like it's just a, it's just a liability at this point because the mm -hmm. the americans will take everything they can from you um and then when it comes time to pay the piper then we'll just let you hang so that that's okay. kind of you know that, that that's my concern or do you think that human intelligence operatives and uh cia CSIS, whatever uh they have their shit together more than i know or think from a public perception okay. standpoint okay your comment about SIGINT versus human is spot on by the way mm -hmm. uh, so i was working in SIGINT um up until the end of two end of 2000 i joined the human service in 2001 nine months before 9 11 happened Real big change for me. I mean, I worked 17 and a half years second. I mean, second's the cat's ass of intelligence. You can, you know, you open up your ears around the world, you collect all kinds of great stuff, and you get really great intelligence. The problem is that intelligence uh, isn't just second, and it's not just human. It's IMIT, it's imagery, it's, you know, all kinds of things you can gather. It's OSINT increasing now in a, in a world. Like, I, I, you know, I still have a top secret clearance, but I, I have no access to intelligence anymore. So I rely can on you, open source stuff. Can you break down? So uh, just for the people who don't know, human, human is human intelligence. Yeah. SIGINT is human. signals intelligence. It's what signals was OSINT? OSINT is open source intelligence. That's okay. basically everything that's in the open right now. And because we're in a world where there's so much information, you know, I was the head of collection at, at CSC, so signals intelligence back in 1998. And um, my people would tell me that we couldn't handle the volume. It was like drinking from a fire hose. Mm -hmm. That was 1998. You know what it's like now? It's like drinking from Niagara Falls. That's just the volume of information that's out there. You need them all. And, and I have heard it said that, that the United States did rely too much on SIGINT and not enough on human. See, the, the beauty of SIGINT is that you can collect signals from wherever. That's just the way the, the ion, I mean, we, they taught us this in SIGINT 101, the way the signals balance off the ionosphere, blah, 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 blah. You can't direct SIGINT. You can direct a human source. You can say, hey, Connor, we, we know this guy, Phil. Um, we think he's an asshole. Can you, can you get, become his best friend? And then start and then report back to us on what he's doing and who he's talking to and who he meets with, that kind of stuff. And, of course, imagery is great because you need imagery for things like airstrikes and determine if there's changes. But get, so, that, so you need all source. That, all source intelligence is the only way to go. Never put all your eggs in the SIGIN basket or the human basket. It doesn't work that way. Regarding your question on, on U.S. moral authority, um, I don't know how many of your listeners I'm going to piss off here, but the last four years have been kind of rough. <laughs> We, we won't you know we'll explain why i i think now there's a willingness maybe to be a little more um open to to reestablishing those relationships and i'll tell you what my key might be and this is kind of off topic but i think it's important the elephant in the room or maybe the giant panda bear in the room is china china's pissing everybody off right now and 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 for good reason their tactics are you know they've got a million uyghurs uh are in uh, up in xinjiang province that they've got in concentration camps they call re-education centers that sounds very communist doesn't it um they've got this initiative around the world where they're building ports and dams and facilities at exorbitant interest rates that they're going to take back when the countries can't pay their loans back they've just uh you know they, they kidnapped two canadians for three years to put pressure on us to, to release meng Wanzhou, who was the cfo of huawei I mean, the, the Chinese are assholes. They're not our friends. They're not our allies. They're not the same political system as us. And they think they're their cats and ass of the world. If, if the Americans and the Canadians and Western partners are all smart, we would see a new sort of effort. And that effort is what do we do about China? In the same way 
I was born in the Cold War. My career started in the Cold War. We, all had, we had one enemy and one enemy only. It was the Soviet Union and their allies. And that really focuses your attention for the better part of 45 years. I think China is the, is the great unifier right now when it comes to a lot of countries, not just Western countries, but a lot of third world countries as well. If we can de demonstrate that our system and our way of looking at things is superior to what the Chinese are going to bring into you, that may be the one that gets a little more credibility and people saying, yeah, we want to buy into the U.S.-led Western way of things because it's a better way of, of running the world kind of thing. I'm not hopeful. I mean, a lot of countries are on the fence. My own prime minister doesn't seem to care what China's doing, which is pisses me off to no end. Um, I just hope that we can see that, that China is the real problem right now and that there is, there's a common purpose for all of us to get in on this. And if we can do that, we can go back to the days where, yeah, we did have a Western alliance writ large, where people did trust us and they did put faith in our systems. I'm not sure if I'm piping dreaming here, but it's one possibility. No, no, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm hopeful. The, so here, here's something because like everybody, including myself, is incredibly egocentric. We we like to think that our mm -hmm. conflict is the apocalyptic conflict, and it's the most important, yep. and this, that, the other. And uh, for me, like, I I've grown up in the war on terror. I think I was 13 or 14 when 9-11 happened. I think I was... Oh, you're um, young. I was 40. Well, I... <laughs> hey, listen, I'm looking forward to beard and chill and talk stage. So, you know, listen, give me, give, you know, give me 30 years, I'll catch up. But the, but the point being that, like, um, when you look at it, like, compared to, like, national level threats, like, you know, Russia or China or something like that, it seems like a lot of the uh, the harder plays are off the table because of nukes. It just it just doesn't seem like we could do conventional warfare. It doesn't seem like China could really do conventional warfare, like um, invading Taiwan or invading Japan or invading Philippines or something like that. It seems like the 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 technological levels of conventional uh, of conventional militaries is too high that the risk just isn't worth it. So what it seems like instead is that it's going to be soft power in political bullying to try to create uh, orbits and vassal states between these two, you know, these bipolar powers, um, pretty much like Europe and the United States and the Anglosphere or Eurosphere on one end, um, and then China and its orbit and the others. And I invite other people to check out like Chinese history. Like th this is actually like kind of the way the world was for a really long time. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of reasserting their more natural state in the world. But then when you say that they think they're the cat's ass, which I, I think is very similar to the bee's knees. Uh, you know, they think they're the best. <laughs> they think they're awesome. Um, the, you know, my thing is like the thing that fucked over Imperial China was pride, like 100%. Overreach. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was them basically saying like, you know, these Westerners, they don't know shit about technology. They don't know shit about war. They don't know shit about trade. They keep, they smell like shit. They come to us begging for, you know, tea and, you know, silver. I mean, I guess we were giving them silver and gold and they were giving us tea and spice. But, but at the same time, like they assumed that because it was foreign, it had nothing of value to offer. And then that was actually their downfall was because they assumed that we were technologically and militarily and culturally inferior only to be basically trounced in any military diplomatic uh, orientation whatsoever. So our, our, I guess my question is, do you think we're China now where we're too confident in our own abilities mm -hmm. and our, our confidence isn't matched by our abilities? And do you, or do you see China falling back into maybe that cultural trope where they think they're so fucking awesome they can't be touched, but realistically mm -hmm. the second, like, like you know, they, they just had their um, real estate crash that everybody's been predicting yep. for like the better part of a decade. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, or are they building on shaky foundations the way they did a few hundred years ago as well? I think they are. So let's say if you were, you said you were 14 on 9 11? Somewhere um, around there, yeah. Okay, so you were uh, five in 1992 when the first Bush talked about the thousand points of light. The Cold War was over. It had been demonstrated that our system was superior. The Soviet Union fell off its own accord because it was corrupt right to the core. So we didn't have to, you know, nuke them into 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 cinders, right? The system collapsed from within. I do think I was seeing we might see something similar with China for the reasons you already cited. They're little, they're really they're almost arrogant right now. Like we're not talking about a Xi Jinping ideology in the same way you had a Mao ideology back in the fifties and sixties. They do think they can do no wrong. They think that and and they see themselves as being world dominant. They do see us as sort of you know the West has lost its edge. You talk about it economically, culturally, whatever kind of thing. And they do think that we're not much of, we don't pose much of a threat. I do think inherently that our system, Western secular democracy, for all the faults that it has, and it has many, it was a Churchill once said about democracy, it's the, 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 the worst system except for all the, all the other ones. 
I, I do think that we have some an inherent advantage at the way that we look at the world, the way we govern ourselves, the way we set up societies that is far beyond what China has to offer anyone. And you mentioned the, the, the economy is, is not doing well in China. There's a lot of dissent that the Chinese, it's not just the Uyghurs, there are a lot of pissed off people in China and the system, because of the way it is, they can crack down on people, they can throw them in jail, they can take away their technology, they can ban them from the internet, blah, blah, blah. But I do think at the end of the day, um, you know, some kind of, uh, you, know, um, you know, black swan notwithstanding that comes out of the middle of nowhere, I do think that our system is inherently superior to theirs. And I think people will eventually realize that, you know, the 90s were, were much of a, a lost decade for a whole bunch of reasons. You know, we just won the Cold War. We know we didn't have an enemy anymore. We weren't sure what to do. And then, of course, Rwanda happens. And we say, where the hell were we Rwanda? And then the, you know, the Balkan Civil War, which is brutal beyond, you know, in Europe. Like, how can we have a war that is in Europe, you know, 40 years after the end of World War, or 50 years after the end of World War II? I think we kind of lost our way. And um, China's been slowly gaining. Russia's still around, although they're, they're in even deep, worse trouble than the Chinese are economically and, and internally as well. But I, I do think, and maybe this is just me talking as a, a kid born in you know, London, Ontario, Canada in 1960, I, I do think that what we stand for and what we've built is so inherently better than the other systems that are out there. It needs improvement, but basically uh, they can't hold a candle to us. And I think eventually that's going to come out. Do you, you know, do you have any fears about zoomers or alpha or any, any of the upcoming can you hear me okay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you have any fears about the upcoming generation because i do like a i do like a motherfucker and um to share my anxiety it seems like we're not capable of rhetorically politically or principally defending what we've built yeah. uh from a cultural standpoint it seems like people are afraid to um, mm. and, and it's it's because of the these narratives that are emerging that on one hand I think are are signs of our strength, um, but on the other hand when we don't stand up and say like yes that's true but like we're 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 kind of we're kind of creating our own problems and what I mean by that is like the 90s was uh, a very patriotic age for the United States maybe cheesily so, um, but the reason why was because we had the World War II generation who you know. Yeah might have initially ignored the Holocaust, but ultimately defeated Nazism in Imperial Japan, which did arguably horrific things. Uh, not arguably, just like like inarguably horrific things. And then uh, it, it was a necessary war to fight, so it was very morally clear. And then with the Cold War, despite some nefariousness or dirty work done during uh, the Vietnam era, um, it, really was, it, it was pretty clear that with the collapse of the Soviet Union, that like, authoritarian communism that was non-market-based central controlled there was just so many problems that it was falling apart and with the normalization of china it seemed like communism like even if it existed in name it was it, gravitationally it was shifting towards mixed economy capitalism or, or market systems so there was kind of like this victory lap in the 90s with a few terrorist attacks uh interrupting it that felt like oh shit we were right the whole time that's awesome and then also with like the technological primacy of the united states particularly in the persian gulf war with the stealth fighters and the precision bombing and all that kind of stuff it just seemed like we were at our peak that's literally what it felt like even as a young person mm -hmm. um whereas 2001 was kind of uh with 9 11 it was this launch into this like dystopian alternative reality in which the civic principles and, uh, you know, all the things that we talked about in highfalutin ways in Hollywood movies were inverted on themselves. And all of a sudden we're just like, oh, fuck due process, fuck habeas corpus, you know, fuck, fuck all these rules that those are just for citizens. And if you're a non-citizen, then we can torture you. If you're a non-citizen, we can, you know, do drone striking. Um, and we're going to do whatever it takes in order to prevent another, uh, uh, not another 9-11. And what that felt like was, um, I, I, I do not have rose-tinted glasses about the past. The past was mm -hmm. awful in 10,000 yep. ways. But what it felt like was the emperor didn't have any clothes. Where mm -hmm. all these, like, espoused principles that we had, they're ideals. They're mm -hmm. things that we hold in high esteem. But when the chips are down or the world is scary, we cast those things off, like, immediately. Now, lucky yeah. for us, we live in republics, so we have some bolstering against these, uh, you know, corruptions of our institutions or principles. But what that did, at least for me, is it it put like a really bitter taste in the newer generations where they're like, mm -hmm. we talk shit about how we save the Jews. We knew they were being slaughtered and we didn't show up until it was halfway too late. 
we, you know, uh, in Vietnam or whatever, we're pretending that we were defeating uh, communism or whatever, but Vietnam was probably the least shitty out of all the off-com communist states, and we killed the fuck out of people and terrorized them, and Operation mm -hmm. Phoenix, we assassinated a bunch of people and this, that, the other. We played dirty. Uh, when it comes to the war on drugs, like, you know, Grenada, the Black Ops, and all that kind yeah. of stuff, on some level, it's, it's fucking badass. Like, I'm just gonna admit it's badass. Um, but it's also, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's dark shit. You're fucking executing people. Um, yeah. So... With all of that coming to light, especially in the information age, younger generations don't have the ability or the or the intestinal fortitude to defend what we've built. And that's I know that was a long winded rant, but that's fucking terrifying to me. So how do you I, feel? It you know, it bothers me too. And, uh, and uh, for the record, my, my mother's brother, my, my, my uncle John, he, he went to, to France in 1939 as part of the Canadian Army. He didn't come back to 1945, but he came back with a Belgian bride. My, my Aunt Claire was born in Belgium. My, 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 my uncle fought, you know, for six years in the Second World War. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why it's called the greatest generation, right? It's a term the Americans use to describe that. Francis Fukuyama wrote in his early 90s after, after the Soviet Union fell, you know, the end of history. We've proven that our system is superior because we've just won the Cold War. You're right that I, I think in the absence of um, a, a major foe like the Soviet Union, like communism in, from the 40s to the 19, 1990s, people kind of lose perspective on things. And I am worried about, call it woke culture, call it cancel culture. They're, they're ignoring this and they're saying, well, you know, you guys didn't do anything right. Everything you did was wrong. And you're right. The 2000s, Guantanamo, huge public relations disaster, not to mention an intelligence disaster. You know, those were, those were mistakes. But you can't lose sight of the fact that we did do things and we did things well most of the time. Are we perfect? Not at all. And I get really tired. I'm here. I'm speaking as a Canadian. And I've got a prime minister that apologizes every five seconds for something I, we did or didn't do in the past. <laughs> I'm sick and tired of apologizing for things. Yeah, you know, I'm willing to acknowledge the errors that were made. We're having a huge issue here, uh, you know, with, with First Nations, what you call Native Americans, right? Truth and reconciliation, all that kind of stuff. Horrendous things were done to children, Re you know, residential schools, all kinds of stuff for, for decades in this country. That doesn't mean, and then people are saying, you know, Canada's a mistake. Canada is not a good country. Bullshit. I mean, that is an episode that we need to, we need to figure out and we need to atone for. But to say that Canada doesn't matter for anything, you know, a couple of years ago, we just celebrated our 150th anniversary after Confederation. We were founded in 1867, so, you know, almost a century uh, after you guys were. And people were saying, well, there's nothing to celebrate. I said, are you kidding me? If there's nothing to celebrate, why the hell do millions of people every year bust their asses to get to this country to emigrate as, with, with their kids and with their parents to, to start a new life for themselves? Is it because it's a shithole? I don't think it's because it's a shithole. And so there has to be this ability to acknowledge when things go wrong. But as I said earlier, you know, there's no perfect system in human society. We're about as good as it's going to get. Maybe, and, you know, again, I'll have a crystal ball. Maybe 100 years from when I'm dead, I'll get something like, like in Star Trek, right? I love Star Trek. So Star Trek is a perfect society. Uh-oh, that's but, what the communists want. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And look, and look how it worked for them, right? Um, <laughs> but I think all being said, you'd have a hard time constructing something today given current resources and current knowledge and, and, and curtain, current perspectives that beats what you have, what we have, what the Western Europeans have. And let's stop apologizing for it. And let's stop saying there's nothing to celebrate. There's a whole bunch to celebrate. And I, it really bugs me when people say that, you know, there, there's nothing worth, worth commemorating here. That, that's such horseshit. Yeah. And, and so that, that's my frustration. And that's kind of why I do what I do um is be, is because these things are taken for granted like i, I keep i keep mm -hmm. telling people um, big time democracy is not genetic like pe people think it is they they 100 think that like oh a secular liberal you know anti-theocratic democracy is it, just it's so apparent to everybody across the world that this is the system that you can just gut the culture you can gut the government mm -hmm. you can gut the foundations and we're still going to retain the positive things about this while being completely able to destroy the foundations and i fundamentally fucking disagree i i think you have to reinforce it culturally you have to espouse its virtues you have to acknowledge its flaws while simultaneously saying like hey listen freedom is messy because that means yes. you're free to do dumb shit it doesn't mean yep. that you're free to do the correct thing all of the time or else you wouldn't be fucking free. And that's like, that's like one of the things that's really frustrating for me. Cause like, I mean, um, 
when it comes to COVID, like I'm vaccinated. Okay. I think people should get vaccinated. I think 99% of the time it's going to be the right thing to do for most people. But then people are like shitting their pants and they're like, oh, the government should have the ability to hunt people down and jam a needle into their arm in order to force them to take a medication against their will. And I'm like, are you fucking high? Like, like, like I get it. Like, it's bad and it's bad that people are hurting themselves and it's bad that people are putting their neighbors at risk. But giving the government that kind of fucking authority in no. order to do that shit is infinitely worse. And it's a, it's a violation of the principles that maintain us stably as a yeah. society. And once you yeah. open that door, the door is open. Yeah. You don't get yeah. to close that shit again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I don't know, it, it pisses me off. Like, I, I feel like a boober when I say it, but, you know, fuck it. I'm no, boober, but you're so. right, though. I mean, we are free to do dumb shit. I don't know, but I've done dumb shit in my past. I'll probably do dumb shit in my future. You can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't outlaw idiocy. My God, if you could, wouldn't it be great? We'd be an ideal society. We'd be the Garden of Eden again. You're fucking trying. Like, you know, dumb, <laughs> dumb people, dumb people do dumb shit. Um, and you can't, you can't, you can't prevent that. What you can put in place is, you know, a, a system of rules, and the, and the rules do change over time. I mean, we have laws, we have amendments to laws. I mean, at one point in, you know, in many Western countries, slavery was actually, you know, okay. Mm -hmm. Then we decided it's not okay. That was a change in our mentality. It was a good change. It was a good development in Western societies. 40 years from now, we may do, be another fundamental change. Look at women's rights that, you know, really, you know, 60s and 70s. Remember, the, you're too young. The, now, the National Organization of Women, mm -hmm. you know, fought for equality of pay for women. That was a good thing. Okay, so so I actually do want to ask a couple of, um, you know, you tell me if these, these questions are um, off the pale or whatever, but I, I want to ask them because I think they're important. Um, oh, the I try to tell people that, um, you know, so for instance, like there, there's the popular meme in the United States that the Central Intelligence Agency uh, specifically dealt drugs in in America in order to destabilize local forces, uh, you know, local gangs and local cultures and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, and then basically, you know, that, that that's like one of the conspiracy theories that we have in our country. Um, it's exposed by a guy named Gary Webb, whose research is very shoddy. But basically what, what I was able to find by researching was uh, Central Intelligence Agents were um, operating in uh, Latin America. They saw cash and guns coming south, which they needed for their paramilitary organizations. And they saw drugs going north and they didn't ask about it. Right. Mm. You know, they, they got a war to fight against communists. So they're, they're not going to do it. Yeah. And then also one of the things that really frustrates me, particularly dealing with leftists and communists, is every time a communist state fails, it's because of the CIA. It's not because of like internal rife or like shitty economics or politics or nepotism. It's because of the CIA. And what I try to tell people about this, and you know, maybe you can confirm if I'm right or not, um, the CIA uh, and CSIS by proxy is six assholes with maybe a couple of guns and a briefcase full of cash, and they go and talk to locals, they get information, and then they try to make power plays inherent to the political structures yeah. that already exist within a society. They're not creating uh, grassroots, artificial, synthetic political movements they're capitalizing on what's already there. And if your government can be toppled by six assholes with $10 million in cash, then chances are there were a few problems to begin with. How, how, how does my assessment feel from a, an, an interior perspective? I, I love when conspiracy theorists talk about intelligence. And obviously, I, you know, I'm biased having worked more than three decades. I used to laugh to people that said that. So when I worked in Statos Intelligence, you guys are monitoring all Canadian you know, communications that said, you know what? You're absolutely right. And I monitored your conversation for 15 minutes one day. You were so fucking boring that we took you off the list in a heartbeat. <laughs> not, not only was there no intelligence, you're I not intelligent. I told my dad, I literally told my dad that he was like, I don't, you know, I don't want to use a smartphone. I don't want them to listen to me. And I was like, dad, nobody gives a fuck about your conversations. <laughs> like, who gives a shit? Oh, I, 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 think, I think that, you know, people that believe this, a couple of things. First of all, they, they think that intelligence agencies, CIA, CSIS, MI5, MI6 are, are omnipotent mm -hmm. and omniscient, which are neither the case. The bottom line is that people that work in intelligence, they're there because they're, they're proud citizens of their country. They want to do their best to protect their country's interests. And sometimes those interests might be a little bit wonky. And you, you talk about drugs and that kind of stuff, Latin America in the 60s. Okay, you maybe have a case there. But, you know, we don't go to work every day, you know, thinking of ways to fuck our neighbor. We go to work every day saying, what can I do to prevent shit from blowing up or foreign uh, spies from coming in, stealing our secrets or influencing? We just had an election in this country. And there's an MP, a member of parliament, 
who he's alleged that Chinese agents influenced Chinese Canadians to not vote for him. He's a Chinese Canadian too. And I think his allegations have merit. That's why you have intelligence services to identify these assholes. So you can kick them out of the country, mm. declare them persona on ground and get them out. And so, you know, they say it's really hard to, uh, you know, if you, if you try to undermine a conspiracy theory, it's because you're part of the conspiracy and therefore I'm not going to listen to you. But I think people accord far too much importance to what intelligence agencies can or cannot do. We're just average Canadians, Americans, Brits, just, you know, going to work every day and staying late nights and going in on weekends and coming on vacations because we care about our countries and we want to protect them. That's that's, that's as simple as I can put it. Well, and so I, I guess I guess that's my follow up question. Um, did you I, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it or not, but did you did you ever see the more kinetic side? Um, and by that, I just mean, like, we we have kinetic intel operatives in the United States. So uh, people talk about them, but like um, Central Intelligence uh, mm -hmm. Special Activities Division, um, who basically embedded with our I forget what they're calling Samantha Banana is going to yell at me. Um, but basically, like our special forces teams, and as a result, you know, they had linguists in gear, mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. varied in age, like late 20s all the way into their 60s. Um, but they're wearing armor, they're carrying rifles, they're going into foreign countries in order to talk to paramilitaries, in order to try to recruit them, in order to achieve American national goals. Um, do you have um, any experience or any comments about that community and kind of how it relates to like what's possible within this industry? Or even uh, what I'd be curious about, too, is as far as intelligence goes, what percentage of the work is that? Is that 10 percent, 2 percent, 1 percent? You know, yeah. it, it, are the are the SIG into the human guys more like that's the bread and butter of intelligence? and the the field guys are more like the the sexy few i think it's more the latter i you know the one regret i i have connor's i never got to afghanistan i would have loved to have gone just to, 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 to see what it was like i mean i you know i was i was a farsi linguist so by that point uh, my farsi wasn't that great i i did work with 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 what we call jtf2 joint task force 2 which is our elite forces kind of like mm -hmm. uh, you know whatever you call them in your state in, in the states um but I think that really is the pointy, pointy, pointy end of the stick. There's an awful lot of intelligence that is, I would call it routine, but, you know, intelligence, you, you gather lots of stuff to build. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. And every piece of intelligence is a piece of the puzzle. And you got to try to figure out, do I have the right pieces? How big is the puzzle? I mean, do I have three pieces out of four or three pieces out of 40,000? I don't know right now. That's the kind of routine work that gets done on a daily basis. And I think that, you know, the, the kinetic action you talked about, the, the people that are helping to actually target people who are bad, et cetera, et cetera, talk to people, allies on the ground, that is, is the 1%, one percent, um, because intelligence organizations are vast. I mean, NSA, when I was working at CSE, we were about 1,000 strong. NSA was 100,000 strong. I mean, I was military and civilian. Like, there are a lot of people that were you know, listening to conversations around the world. That's your that's your day-to-day -day stuff. And occasionally, and things did change after 9-11. There's no question about that in terms of, I think, the active use of intelligence in kinetic action. But prior to that, it was it's just you're part of the machinery. And the part of the machinery, you've got a million requirements that government wants you to answer. You know, who's doing who to, who to who in the zoo? Who do I trust? Who do I not trust? What's happening in, in you know, lower Slobovistan today? And then, you know, something bad happens. You're and it's filled all, with you know, great fucking sayings, by the way. Like, who's doing who to who in the zoo? That, that is fucking great. Like, I need to steal that. 60 years, man, of, of talking about this stuff, I'm telling you, it, yeah. it all builds up. Cat's but, ass. Cat's ass and who's doing who to the zoo in the zoo. is That's fucking up there. The, I, so yeah. I, this is not to say intelligence is not exciting. It is. But, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a there's a routineness to it, right? Um, you know, you listen to so many conversations, you extract the intelligence, you write the reports up, you meet with clients, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, putting a bullet in someone's back of someone's head is not a daily occurrence. So I used to say to people, James Bond is not what I did. I didn't sleep with gorgeous women and I didn't kill people. I'm not sure which one of those I want or don't want. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, like, you know, that we're going to admit to on this, you know, on this uh, while your wife's listening. So the, the, the point is, um, yeah, so I, I kind of wanted to get into, um, I understand that you're saying that, like, it's majority more mundane, um, you know, who's doing who to who in the zoo. Um, but we, we are coming up on the last 10 minutes, so I wanted to ask another uh, pointed question. Sure. Um, so the, you know, you can, everybody processes stress in different ways. Everybody processes anxiety in different ways. And when you're talking about this kind of stuff, it can be it, it can have really serious implications, basically, specifically with terrorism, what you do and what you don't do can result in the deaths of dozens or hundreds of people. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, like the people that you're going after can be horrible, like, like absolutely monstrous executioners and torturers and rapists and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that happened, you were talking about how like target packages are, are kind of like a, a less uh, lesser part of the field. I did have a friend who did that. 
um, and the stress built and built and built and built because he's literally watching people uh, basically torture and kill people because they're posting yeah. this to the internet in order to build their international reputation. Um, and then he's using that to find details of the background about where they are and where they're operating. And then he's pooling that with other operatives in order to figure out where they're at. And then they put together a kill packet. And within a couple of weeks, that guy's dead. Um, mm. So that eventually stressed him out to the point that he had some really nefarious oh. um uh, familial consequences, really nefarious personal consequences. Yeah. And so I guess that's my question is, how did you see, I know you were, you said you were good at compartmentalization, but not everybody is. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm an open book. Yeah. I'm the same person when I go to be a cop as I am when I come home, uh, which was a problem because I brought my work home with me. Mm -hmm. So for the, what's the percentage of people who are able to compartmentalize? What's the percentage <laughs> who can't compartmentalize? And for the people who can't compartmentalize, what are the consequences of not being able to deal with what you're looking at? Well, I, I have no idea what the figures are, but I think if you find out that you're in this, this business and you can't compartmentalize and it's having an effect on you, your family, your friends, whatever kind of thing, it's time to get the fuck out of Dodge because mm -hmm. you might get out before it's too late. I, I had a job where in all honesty, this is going to sound really stupid, but I had a job where for 32 years, I couldn't wait to get to work every morning. It was so exciting because of my challenges. My, my, I, had, I, I worked in almost a dozen languages. I never knew what I was going to do that day. It was exciting. It, you know, I was a 22-year-old kid when I started, for God's sakes. You know, a 22-year-old kid with a top-secret clearance, even higher than that, given the keys to the kingdom. Like, who wouldn't want that kind of thing, right? And I loved it. I loved it every day. And not to say there weren't other assholes. There's other assholes everywhere. But... I, I do think that there is a danger, and especially the guys, like you say, that at the point, as I said, the pointy, pointy, pointy end of the stick, who are responsible for actually taking out people who pose a threat to us. I don't know how you handle that. You know, I, I, let me give you a story here. So, about a year ago, a buddy of mine, he, he, uh, he I taught him in a course I was teaching at a college here. He said, "I'm going to take you to a, a firing range." I never fired a gun in my entire life, and this guy had some pretty serious weaponry, um, and he let me fire an AR-15. It scared them shit out of me <laughs> i gotta be honest with you not only was i like within a maybe a mile of the target i'm not gonna kill anybody but i couldn't imagine doing that on daily now my manager if, if i had the training maybe i'd feel different right i mean years and years of training and in weapons and all that kind of stuff but i think it does take a special person to be able to handle that and i'm not surprised that people get ptsd they get home you know they, they abuse their families they abuse themselves drugs and that kind of stuff i don't know how they do it but um if you if you figure out this is going to have that effect on you, you better get out you know sooner rather than later because the, we've seen the consequences, right? We see suicides, we see people kill their families, etc. So yeah, if if this is going to take you down that path, uh, you know, go work at uh, you know I don't know Taco Bell or something because this is not the job for you. <laughs> right, right. Although although I do hear um, you know we're, we're probably just going to shout out and uh, edit now so I can get to the other show, but I do hear love um, for the job. You know, oh, yeah. like, like I do. And that that's something that I sympathize and empathize with a lot because I, I was one of those people. I couldn't compartmentalize. It affected me. It affected my family, all that kind of stuff. So I got out. I got out while the getting was good, you know, before there yeah. was any uh, yeah. horrible consequences. Um, but one of the one of the problems or one of the things that I deal with is I loved it. You know, it didn't love me back. You mm. know, be, being a Marine didn't love me back. Being a cop didn't love me back. But yeah. I loved it. And so to hear that you had that kind of career where you're like, like, you know, 28th year, you know, second day of the 28th year. And you're like, fuck, like, I'm going I'm to go do some interesting shit. I'm going to drink some coffee. I'm a bullshit with my boys. I'm going to talk about some crazy organizations that are trying to kill motherfuckers. We're going to put together packets yeah. of information for very smart people to analyze. Yeah. I mean, that's that sounds awesome. And the um, the only pro the only I would go do that right now if I could. Um, but I'm a fucking blabbermouth, so I would want to tell everybody. I'd be like, "We're we're going after these guys." Like, like, <laughs> well, let me let me put it this way, Connor. Why, mm. why am I talking to you today on a on a you know October evening here? It's rainy. It's been cloudy all day. Um, I'm turning 61 in a couple months. Mm. Why in God's name am I talking to you today rather than watching Netflix or you know having a, a glass of wine kind of thing? Because I still love this stuff. Why have I written six books? I still love this stuff. Why do I tweet every day? Why do I go on, on do media interviews? Why do I write blogs? Because I still love this stuff. And it fascinates me. I hope I'm making a contribution. I hope my perspective is valuable for something. And I want to tell the story of people that were like me. That, mm -hmm. you know, these are good Canadians, good Americans. Like I said, went to work every day with one goal in mind, one goal only, to do the right thing for our countries. That's something that has to be celebrated. And this is why this is why I do this. I mean, I, I could go and, you know, play hockey all day, although I pulled a hamstring really badly. So I'm hobbling <laughs> around right now. Anyhow, maybe that second glass of wine I'll need tonight. But um, 
No, this is this is. I just I want to say just thank you for for having me on on the, on the show because it's really important to get these things out there, and it's important to stand up for what we believe in. And you know, our countries are good countries. I mean, are we perfect? No, but you know, we stand for something. And as I said, if there's a better system than what we have in in, in your country or my country, I'd like to see it. But I haven't seen it yet. Awesome. Then my my very sincere pleasure. I look forward to some big geopolitical event um, mm-hmm. happening and me being like, hey, I got to I got to talk to Phil about Let's this. do it again. Yeah. Woo! And then, yeah. And say, same thing. So if there's something like, hey, I want to get in front of, uh, you know, 50 to a few thousand. Like, obviously, we're when we're live, it's like 50 to 100. But then when it goes out, a few thousand yeah. people see it. Um, yeah. And some things take off and some things don't. But whatever. So if you're like, hey, I want to go shoot the shit about Intel and, and get a few hundred to a few thousand people better informed than they were when For they sure. woke up, then I'm completely yeah. down. Um, yeah. So there's, there's the book. Hey, you can buy that, it. That, that's what I was about to say is um, where should people find you on social media? What yeah. part of your work are you most proud of? What's what's the legacy? What's the impact that you want to leave on the world that you want people to be aware of? Okay, so they can reach. So I'm on uh, Twitter at Borealis Saves. I'm on LinkedIn. My website is BorealisThreatenedRisk.com. There's a link to the new book there, which is which is which is uh, self-published. It's only twenty five dollars Canadian, which is really cheap, and it's signed, which is free. Um, what do I want to be? Is my legacy? Um, a Canadian who gave a rat's ass about what's happening in the world. Uh, try to do whatever I could to make it a little bit better. Try to help my 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 fellow Canadians. Um, make a better country and at the same time help other people to make their countries better. Intelligence is part of that. It's not evil. There are people that some people think inherently intelligence is bad. It's, you know, people you know, lurking around in, cor- in black corners doing bad things. No, it's not. It's people trying to gain information to make things better in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the end run of things. So if anything I say or do or write is something that people can use and say, hey, that's kind of interesting. I might want to... And, and by the way, I, I, I get dozens of emails every week saying, hey, I want to do what you did. Can you give me advice on how to apply to the security service and then things like that? I'm just a, an average kid that grew up in Southern Ontario who lucked into the best job on the planet and um, still doing it because it's something I still love doing. Awesome. Well, very, very, I, I could thank you for another 20 minutes or we could BS <laughs> for another 20 minutes, but Phil, thank you very sincerely. I look uh, forward to our next conversation. I wish you well. And then uh, everybody who's in chat, like I don't, all right, I'm gonna talk shit to my chat for a second. I want to fucking hear it if you're like the CIA or like spooky monsters who like kill kids in the middle of the night. And then Phil's like, hey, I wrote a book, you know, a half a dozen books for you about intelligence and how it works and the factions that we go up against and the interests and all that kind of stuff. And if y'all don't read the book, then I don't want to hear any shit talking. So that that's what I'm talking about. So, yeah. Boss. Thanks, yeah. Connor. Thank you, Phil. Talk soon. Take care, man. <laughs>